Hello, welcome to Podspell, a podcast about the arts and America. It's episode two, and my guest today is Cesar Reyes. Cesar is an accomplished actor, designer, theater tech, and all-around good guy. He is an MFA candidate in theater at my alma mater, the University of Idaho. I had a chance to sit down with Cesar in his office at UI. Our talk covered his early days as a blossoming artist, how his curiosity led him away from the arts and into finance and politics, and his journey back to the stage. Here is our conversation. So Cesar, take me back to your earliest memory of encountering your own creativity. I remember being a little kid and uh, playing with uh, Ghostbusters backpacks and guns, making them out of um, milk jugs and pretty much anything I could find, tape uh, to make them work, and just imagining that I was in those worlds, catching those ghosts and being the Ghostbusters. So... Did you have, like, a crew with you? Did you have, like, other Ghostbusters? Or were you, like, the lone Ghostbuster? Well, it was mostly, like, my older brother and my younger brother. And my older brother was more the creative one. So he would figure out how to make the the guns work and all that stuff. And then we had... We made, like, the traps for them and everything. So it was pretty sweet. (laughs) Did you feel like Stranger Things ripped off your your childhood when they did their Ghostbusters? Absolutely. (laughs) No. (laughs) It was a good time, though, back then, being a Ghostbuster at uh, six and seven years old. Was it the first Ghostbusters or the second one? The first one. Oh. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, was there a defining moment for you in your early life that made you decide that you'd pursue life as a creative person? You know, I don't think I ever really knew that that was a, an option. I think um, going through school, it was always, you know, go to school be good in sports, um, but I, re- I really didn't understand what it meant to be creative in, in life and in work, really. Uh, so a lot of people I know, or maybe not a lot of people, but often, especially in like introductory acting courses, I notice there's a lot of athletes turned actor create. Do you think there's some sort of correlation between being a, an athlete and then becoming some kind of performer? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think it, there is. I think there's that camaraderie, um, that team building that you get with uh, being an athlete. They also get in, in theater because you're working with so many other people to for this common goal, mm-hmm. uh, and that bonding. I think I think it's it's relatable to to both. Do you think um, being an actor, the performance itself, and being on stage? Is a, is a similar sensation to when you're on the field playing something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, when I played soccer, I played uh, forward, and I always loved being in the front and trying to trying to score um, and just being part of that excitement. And when you're on stage, you are you get that same rush. It's like, put me in coach kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you think your athleticism attributes to your success in your work as an actor? Um, I think that that comes to play with uh, wanting to play with others, wanting to create something, and uh, always trying to get better at it, yeah. trying to understand what I'm doing better. So yes. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> um, who was an early influence on you and your creativity? Back in high school in Antioch, California, uh, I went to Antioch High, and 
my drama teacher was uh, Sean O'Neill, and I, I auditioned for a play, and that was the first time I actually acted. And I was in uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream, and I played the wall. The wall? <laughs> yeah, and that was the best wall ever. <laughs> so instead um, of an early tree cliche, you were at wall. You changed that. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> what did you do as the wall? Um, so that in the, <clears throat> excuse me, as a, a mechanical in Midsummer Night's Dream, um, they put on this show for for the royals, and my part was to play the wall for the lovers to meet and to kind of be in between them. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Oh, I love that. And so yeah, so <laughs> one of my greatest influences was uh, Sean O'Neill introducing me to, to theater giving me that sense that I could do something like that. Yeah. Did you, um, do you still keep in touch with him? Yeah, he, he doesn't work there anymore, but um, we message each other every once in a while just to see how we're doing. Yeah. How, how does he feel about now, so many years later, that now you're in graduate school for the same thing you were doing back then? You know, I haven't asked him, but I would imagine he, he'd be pretty proud of that. Yeah. Did the, and tell him where, you know, you, I know you're working on midwinter, a midwinter, a, a winter adaptation of Midsummer. Um, you're going to reprise your role as the wall. <laughs> <laughs> no, this time I will be playing Theseus. Oh. But I will get to see the wall. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, it all comes, it all comes full circle. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, did you have access to the arts growing up? Um, and what ideas might you have on increasing arts visibility for young people and children in this country? Uh, growing up, uh, the first thing I did in the arts was I uh, played the trombone mm. in band in middle school. And uh, back then, I, we lived in a small town in Northern California, way up in Northern California, uh, called Alturas. Mm-hmm. And um, we couldn't afford a, an instrument, but the school actually let me borrow an instrument. So I got to borrow a trombone for a couple of years. And when we moved out of there, um, moved to a different school district that didn't have the funding to um, let kids borrow the instruments. Mm -hmm. So I had to stop playing the instrument. So I I stopped being in band because of that. Um, So I think part of it is, you know, providing more funding for those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. um, for kids to try different instruments, to be able to be in the theater to be able to try painting. Yeah. Um, you, you don't realize how much those supplies add up and how much they cost. Yeah. Um, so for some people, it, it can be cost prohibitive to, to do those things. Yeah. So what, what would be your argument to the case that um, when, when people cut the arts first or when schools decide like, oh, we need, to, we need to cut back, we need to figure out how to save money, and then the arts tend to be the first thing to go. What would you say to try and <laughs> maybe not make that the first thing to go? Yeah, that's, that's tough. Uh, that That's the, the choice that gets made so often because, you know, there are multiple studies out there that say that music helps uh, kids learn math Mm -hmm. or helps them with their language skills. Um, So much of that just helps your brain develop Mm -hmm. uh, as a child. Not only that, but especially in theater, now that I'm I'm getting my master's, Mm -hmm. I've I've gotten to see 
uh, how much of that is about knowing yourself. And I think as a little kid growing up, not knowing yourself, not knowing where you fit in, not knowing um, your self-worth is, is huge. And I think um, it's to a great detriment that we don't fund those things. Yeah. Do you think having... Um because you 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 come from a big family that comes from also another country do you think that the arts was a, was a way for you to to be a part of, of this new culture and this new community that you moved to and your family came to yeah um you know when when we came here to the US it wasn't culturally there were so many things that were different mm-hmm. but since I, I i got here i've you know i've fallen in love with this country and i've, I've you know, this is, this is my home, um, and this is all I know. And when I was little, my mom would put me into these, uh, like, baile folkloricos, mm. which are basically a lot of uh, Mex- Mexican dance. Uh, and so being able to do that was really cool. Um, and then, But then not being able to integrate into the culture with some of the other arts, uh, I think, was tough. Um, because I, I knew the language, I knew the, the dances, but you know, like being in band and being some of, some of the other, being in theater and some of the other things, that's not something I got exposed to before I was um, in the U.S. and maybe didn't even get exposed to that till high school. Yeah. So, do you think that was as do you think that was as much a part of um, the U.S.'s relationship to those particular mediums, or do you think it was because of? your new place of being you know you're, you're coming from a different place yeah I think it was partly that everything was so new and then you really don't know where you fit in and I think I don't think it's unique to to being from a foreign country mm-hmm. just I think as a little kid you don't know where you fit in yeah and you're trying to fit in trying to be part of a community um it's always tough yeah. going out for anyone yeah. um but yeah like theater and Music just brings people together everywhere. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Um, so why theater is your primary creative outlet? I know you work in a lot of different mediums, but theater seems to be your, your home space. I discovered, well, let's see. Uh, I discovered theater in high school, and then I took a break from it for a long time, um, working for banks, traveling a bit and then um, coming back to it, uh, it was during the, the recession. Uh, I was in the financial industry at the time and all the investment firms froze their hiring. It, it just so happened that I left my job in San Diego to work in the Bay Area mm-hmm. uh, to be closer to my family. And everyone, all the banks were not hiring. So my field of expertise all of a sudden was no good. (laughs) So I ended up having to do just the worst temp jobs you can think of um, just to, you know, try to keep some sort of income coming in. And then I, I got really, really down on myself because I wasn't doing the thing that uh, I thought I was really good at. And so much of my identity was was attached to that, to the work that I was doing before. Um, so I thought I needed to do something with my life that was more productive. 
So I started taking some classes at the community college. This was after I had my, my degree in political science. Um, so I took a couple of classes. One was a photography class and the other was a, a theater class. And um, I dropped the photography class about a week into it. And the theater just, just was the thing that was scary. It was, it was something that made me have to understand myself more. And in doing so, understand others and the world around me more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's something I still I still look for um, in the theater. Yeah. Uh, how do how do I how do I understand others and in doing so, understand myself better? Yeah. Um, yeah. So theater is just always it's always changing. It's always challenging me. So that's that's where I want to be. And you seem to be kind of a nomad too, because I know you move a lot and you you like to travel and. And even in your early life, I mean, you came to a totally new country. Do you, does is that also a thing of the theater that you think attracts you that you get to move around so much? <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, even if you're in one theater for a long time, you have different shows co- going up all the time. So it's it's always changing. The world itself is always changing. Yeah. Um, you're in a new environment. You're creating this new world, uh, and it's always changing, and it's exciting. Yeah. Um, you worked for John Kerry um, during one of his presidential campaigns. And so being so close to a leader in American politics, what did that do for your perspective on the arts in America? Um, during that time was when, when I was just, let's see, I was finishing up my degree in political science. And that was during the time that I stepped away from theater for a while. Um, but being on the campaign, it, it, it made, it made me realize how many people it affected, how many people came together for this common cause. I remember seeing, um, some, some movie, some movie stars come by the the campaign to, uh, to help out, to get the word out, to vote, to, to get involved. Um, so that was always really refreshing, uh. I met uh, Sharon Stone while I was on the campaign. Uh, let's see, who else was there? Robert Redford stopped by. Um, just all these, all these different artists who saw the impact of of what our leaders can do for our country and trying to to make it a better place for all, all of us to live. Really. Yeah. Um, what about the theatricality of? politics oh yeah how's that informed you now uh you know one of the things that that happened on the campaign was that uh john Kerry, as he went around the country there was this huge team that had to prepare the space for him uh part of it was the secret service and a whole advanced team that had to be at the location before john Kerry got there um so they had to create this world for us uh, to go to the rallies. Some of them were in huge uh, stadiums where they had to prepare the stage, the lighting, sound, all sorts of these elements that are you know, part of the theater. This is, this is our theater world. Um, and, they, and they create these different environments for us. Yeah. Um, some of them were in these huge malls and uh, different theaters around the country. 
uh, and part of my job was uh, handling the accounts payable department. So I got to see where the advance team was going and setting up and doing all these things um, and attend some of the rallies myself. So mm. that was, it was really, really interesting and a uh, uh, chance of a lifetime to yeah. get to do that. And I, I mean, I've always had a lot of admiration for John Kerry because he seems to be one of the politicians that doesn't mince words. He seems to be a very straight talker. Um, but what about being behind the scenes of a political campaign? Did you see um, um, where like performative nature came into play? Not just for John Kerry, but for a lot of the the people that have a relationship with the public and then have a relationship with the staff, and and how when the cameras are off they kind of can settle into themselves and then when the cameras are on they go into this you know performative nature that we all have yeah um i think especially being a a presidential candidate i think the cameras are always on um and it's rare to find those moments where you can when you can see the person uh and i think we, we got to see a lot of that when we had our uh, our meetings either before or after the the rallies mm. where John Kerry would come into the office and, and spend time with us um, and just really just talking to us um, and finding out what it was that drove us to the campaign uh, and for us getting to know him uh, and his passions so it was in between those moments when we actually got to that's a needed person. So. Would you vote for John Kerry if he ran again? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's wonderful. Um, so what about the arts do you think lends itself to politics? And what in politics lends itself to express to expression through the arts? Especially when we see things like campaign ads, which can be very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, when we see um, political art trying to make social commentary. I mean, even yesterday with what's going on with this judge kavanaugh um hearings um there was a projection created that was put on the supreme court that had a very strong message um, but also it's very artistic so what do you think how do you think the two um have an ebb and flow with each other you know i was in my theater history class and we were talking about the uh the ancient greeks and how democracy was established there um and Craig Miller made a point uh, that democracy and theater seemed to thrive together in, in ancient Greece. And uh, I hadn't actually, hadn't actually clicked how tightly wound they were and also how important theater was to the Greeks. We, all, we see the, um, the old structures and you think, wow, that's pretty cool. But you don't realize how each little neighborhood, each community had its own theater. Mm-hmm. And the theater may, was a major part of that community. Um, it served to, to keep the, um, political, the political appointees uh, in check. All the elected officials could keep them in check and uh, remind them why they were there. Um, in a lot of the, the the plays, we see how the playwrights are telling the the people this is what's happening with our leaders, and the leaders get to see that. Yeah. Uh, and you have these huge festivals 
where everyone comes together and they get to see that. Yeah. Uh, the people, the elected officials, and they all see, oh, this is what um, this is what's happening, and this is the discourse we can have. And it was part of it, part of democracy, um, where people could have a d- discourse on those tough decisions that have to be made all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, you know, it makes sense that people would want to limit those things if they don't want the discourse to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think, sadly, we we see a lot of that where we don't want to fund theater. Um, and I think someone mentioned this a while ago that um, some people in power tend to be afraid of theater, mm-hmm. and I always. I never really understood it, but it makes sense that if they don't want the discourse to happen, to limit that voice. Yeah. And I think uh, that is one of the the things that helps our democracy is theater. Yeah, and actually, it's it's, it's funny that you said well, it's not funny, but it's interesting <laughs> that it's interesting that you that you made the correlation that democracy and theater tend or you got there from your class about how they thrive together and how right now we're seeing. Uh, a huge underfunding in the art, particularly in the theater, and we're seeing a real stress on our democracy, um, and how, and how wondering how the two can can survive without the other. You know how how that might work. Um, it's very fascinating, and I think that's also to me like being a being a theater artist to me has always been innately political not necessarily that you always have to make some sort of statement but just the act of making art you know or expressing empathy and vulnerability can just be political in its nature because it's so against what um, this establishment and this current administration wants from you you know wants from us as a people um, because it makes us individuals as opposed to some sort of calling in a bigger machine mm-hmm. um so my last question is, what's the hope for the arts in this country for you? Like, what's the big dream for you? Um, you know, the more the more I spend time in theater, the more I meet people in theater, whether it be uh, this country or another country, um, people I've met from other countries that do theater, it's it's this connective tissue that that we all have that it's hard to understand or see but you can feel it yeah. um, and that is that um, we, we need this and it's it's this love that brings us together and uh, this hope that we can all have this love for ourselves um, and I see it in small uh, communities where there is theater and Theater, and people are making theater in spite of not having the funding, you know. And uh, I, I see some of my colleagues who are out there making theater in their backyards, and that's inspiring, yeah. you know, because they're saying, "Yeah, we there is no money for this right now here, but I'm gonna make this happen." And it, it's 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 really inspiring how many people can get together and make that a, a reality. My hope is that that continues throughout the country, and um, my hope is that people who have the means will support the arts, that eventually we'll have elected officials who see the value in, in, in the arts and 
theater, music, dance, uh, all the all the performing arts, all the visual arts. Uh, we need this, and uh, one informs the other, and one uh, is inspiration for the other. So uh, I, I love I love all of it. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you again for listening. I'd like to thank our producers at Wolf and Thunder Productions. We publish every first and third Thursday of each month. And remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Day by day, remember to create and create for the good of creating.